Welcome to AM Best Audio. I'm John Weber for AM Best TV, and we're in Scottsdale, Arizona for the 2023 Verisk Insurance Conference. We're talking today about fairness in insurance, and we're speaking with Mike Angelina, executive in residence for St. Joe's University in Philadelphia, Pat Sullivan, senior editor, conference co-chair for risk information, and Stephen Clark, Vice President, Government Relations for Verisk. And Steve, we're going to start with you today. Does the insurance industry have a history of discrimination? Well, it's a, it's a great question, John. I think one of the things that you look at when pricing insurance is having an actuarially appropriate premium, and that does involve discrimination. The difference is to look at unfair versus fair discrimination. And within the statutory construct we've been working in in the 50 plus years that, that Verisk has been doing this is that rates cannot be excessive, inadequate, or unfairly discriminatory. And it's that unfair discrimination that we've always had the laser focus on uh, through our actuarial and, and modeling work. Um, when you talk about fair discrimination, some people you know, kind of lose the distinction but that's been the underpinning of our pricing system um, for as long as there have been rating laws. Mike, how's academia addressing the issue of fairness? Sure, uh, one of the things, we like to teach the basics, at, you know, within the McGuire Academy at, at St. Joe's University. And one of the things, to, to Steve's points earlier, in our very introductory courses and second level courses, you know, six words, adequate, not excessive, not unfairly discriminatory. And our students, you know, like to say we wake them up in the middle of the night and they should be able to recite those six words in terms of what rates really need to do. But I, I think we want to go beyond that. And what does an adequate rate mean? What does unfairly discriminatory mean? And, and it really is we get into credit scoring discussions. We get into economic theory versus, say, public policy and things like that. So uh, I'd like to say our students and, you know, the other universities that are, have risk management programs, we're really getting into this issue of unfair discrimination. But to Steve's point, we do discriminate, right? Loss versus non-loss. Well, it feels like some of that work is changing over time. I mean, we've been doing this hundreds of years, insurance as practice, but what counts as unfair discrimination 75 years ago is different than what counts as unfair discrimination today. I think that's part of the conversation everyone's having is when we've gone through societally, it's changed, I think, a lot of people's opinions on what is discrimination and what is fair and what is unfair. And I think to, to add to that, some of the, the tests may have changed a little yeah. bit. In traditional you know, actuarial standards of practice have, have addressed this, as you, yeah. as you mentioned, mm -hmm. Mike, for, for a long time. But as we move into the era of predictive analytics and machine learning, and, and more importantly, big data, yeah. You know, we're bringing in variables that hadn't been looked at you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Um, and that's where you have to be able to explain what kind of analysis you've done, you know, tests you've performed, so that you can say that you still meet that standard. It's that statutory standard that you don't have unfair discrimination. Pat, do you think DNI efforts in the workplace, an insurance workplace that looks more like America, is helping to address the issue of fairness and insurance? I don't think it's helping to address the issue necessarily, but what it's doing is it's making it easier for companies to tackle the issue. I mean, if you have a group of people that are kind of homogeneous, they don't have an understanding of the bias faced by the population, of the struggles people go through 
in the kind of more sociological aspect of it, in a more diverse workforce, makes it easier to say, okay, now I can sit down, I understand the problem, I acknowledge the problem, and we can start to tackle the issue. And at, at the NAIC and in the regulatory community, mm -hmm. we started to see some questions come up. Um, what is the diversity of your, your modeling team? Um, yeah. you know, your data science team, things like that, because they want to make sure that you have those different viewpoints out there. Yeah, it's a diversity of viewpoints. If everybody thinks the same, you're going to have big, giant blind spots. You're not going to think about issues and you'll create standards and practices that end up discriminating because you never thought of that because it's yeah. all the same person. And, and, and I do think one of our biggest weaknesses is inertia, right? You know, we've yeah. always done it this way. We've always looked this at it this way. And if the, 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 DEI, <clears throat> excuse me, the DEI initiatives, what they've done is help shine a light on things. And yeah. like, well, let's think about this. Is there a systemic bias? Is there a racial bias? Is there a gender bias? And is it supported by data? Or, or have we just really not thought enough, hard enough, or looked at the issue closely enough to really determine, yes, there is an issue, and now we can solve it? Or we have a communication problem. There really isn't an issue, and we have a communication problem. But just hiring alone isn't enough. You have to actually do the work, listen to those voices, and take action. Just saying we have a diverse workforce. It's nice, but the work itself is what's important. As taking it a step further, do you think there are systemic poverty issues that just make insurance unobtainable for certain sectors of the population? I, ultimately, yes. I mean, one of the conversations we've been having with the industry, with regulators, consumer advocates is, are we, in a lot of these conversations, talking about race and ethnicity and protected class? Or are we talking about economic class? It's expensive to be poor in this country. The most expensive dollar insurance you can buy is a non-standard policy. So I think there are some people who this is just out of reach. And it's how do we as a society and industry deal with that and acknowledge that and figure that out. And then, you know, part of our shared history is we've tied economic class and race together. I mean, that's just what's happened over hundreds of years in the country. And so it's a challenge to figure out how do we make sure we're looking for unfair discrimination because it's not illegal to charge poor people more, as a consumer advocate said to me. Uh, when we were talking about this issue. And that's where affordability yeah. has started to come into the discussion in the regulatory side and the legislative, legislative side. Yes. Because they do want to make sure people are protected. Mm -hmm. um, so those are all issues that are being explored on the, on the national stage uh, right now. And I think there's an education piece to this, not education, university education, but just for the consumer perspective. You know, the what are you buying when you buy a non-standard policy yeah. with, with minimum state limits? Are you buying enough insurance? or not? What are you doing when you're buying a house on the coast of Florida or on the coast of, you know, you in, know the in the Keys, right? You, you know, cheap because it was flooded out. It, and you're like, oh, the NFIP rates are too it, much. Right? And, and we learned a lot from, you know, a dozen years ago with bigger waters, right? Let's, let's make these rates actuarially sound. Um, our community, the actual community, you know, came up with a definition for the, the term actuarial soundness. And what we found was there was an affordability issue. And, and is there a public policy solution to let's fix some of the systemic problems within these, these jurisdictions? Maybe we shouldn't buy a house there. Maybe we shouldn't build a house here. How do you fix that person versus just charge them more for insurance? And there's a ton of conversations in the industry about flooding, wildfire in California. I mean, I think it's it's getting discussed pretty robustly. So along the lines of affordability, do programs such as UBI, usage-based insurance, help address that issue? I think it puts more control in the driver's hand because you can modify your driving behavior based on your score. Um, I think one of the things it does is it looks at how you're using the vehicle, your braking, uh, your, your cornering, things of that nature, 
and and you know those behaviors tend to be you know gender blind and, and race blind um, but some of the questions that may come in and you have to look at it uh, and people are looking at it are there certain behaviors in certain communities that come out in uh, telematics programs such as driving at night if you have to work the night shift and and you know could that be something that's reflective of a certain community over another but it certainly puts more control in the hands of the driver well it's also a question of infrastructure I mean, if you're driving on poorly maintained roads yep. through dangerous parts of town is it the insurance industry's job to address that issue or is that a failure of government to properly maintain infrastructure and how does that play in rates i mean it's I think it goes back to the issue of, of wildfire and a flood and some of these other affordability issues. Is yeah. Insurance can't be the only entity working right. to improve affordability, sustainability, resilience. And I think one of the benefits of this is, right, data cures all, right? Yeah. Having the data, we're making assumptions as to this area and this type of driving behavior. Having the actual data and understanding, well, maybe we were wrong on this perception of, you know, how this territory is going to drive or or things like that. And, and just where we are with big data and AI, there's so much information out there. I can, you know, put on my phone and, you know, put on Waze or Google Maps or whatever, and I know how many drivers are near me now. And I know that, you know, the profile of those drivers, or I don't, but, you know, to the extent that we have the data to now reflect that, we, we can actually make better decisions from an insurance perspective with how, how should we be charging? Maybe our old algorithms didn't work. Maybe they weren't appropriate. Mike, earlier you mentioned public policy and yeah. economic theory. Is there a Venn diagram of the two, though? There is a Venn diagram. There has to be. And, and uh, if they don't intersect, that's a problem, that we've, we've really not solved anything. And, and I think, you know, I've got, I'm an optimist at heart. Um, I, when I think of, like, economic theory, I think about things like should algorithms, you know, incorporate demand, you know, elasticity of demand and pricing. That's an economic decision. That's not a loss-based decision. And I think public policy kind of brings those two together to say, well, maybe doing this is wrong, um, even though the data may support it. How do we bring public, and that's the beauty of our regulatory system, is I think our regulatory system has done a really nice job of kind of bringing those two together and making sure that we do have a good intersection of those Venn diagrams. So Steve, what work is being done to address the issue of fairness and in insurance? John, it's, a, it's an issue that we've looked at um, throughout our entire existence at, at Verisk. Uh, when we first rolled out our uh, predictive modeling uh, programs around 15 years ago, we asked that exact same question because we were kind of stepping out of our, our typical lane. Uh, we did a lot of analysis, we got peer review, uh, and we introduced some statistical techniques to help smooth some of that out. Um, Probably more importantly, we were also very transparent with the regulatory community in explaining what we had done, what we had tested, and how we had addressed those exact same issues. That carries forward to today, too. Um, you know, there's a very large discussion on the national stage, regulatory community, legislative community in the states, in the NAIC, about this issue, this exact same issue. So we've stepped back and, and we're looking at our programs uh, to try and you know put a put a number on what is the impact of race uh, in our traditional pricing algorithm, uh, and and we've been pleased to see that it has a very very small impact. It's it's territory, uh, it's driver class, it's it's those other items that are really impacting the price of the insurance exposure unit.
We'll continue to, to look at very closely. We're very engaged in the discussions uh, around this topic. Um, Colorado, with Senate Bill 169, is going to be one of the leaders in this area. Um, and we're going to make sure that, that we stay um, up to speed on what's going on um, so that we can you know, adjust and modify as needed. And I, and I applaud Verisk for what they're doing. Uh, the McGuire Academy at St. Joe's will be peer reviewing. We are peer reviewing the work that's being done. And Verisk having the data and, and literally being able to look at this information and ask the question, is there bias, implicit or explicit, in the rating and, and really seeing the outcome of that and the hard work that's being done. And just one, again, it's having the data to be able to do this and having the ability to have strong teams of data scientists to really look in What's the impact? What, at the end of the day, what is the impact? And, and as Steve said, you know, it's territory, it's credit score, it's driver class. Um, and uh, I just think they're doing a great job, and I think it's a service to the industry. I want to play a little devil's advocate in talking to consumer advocates and regulators who have looked at the study that uh, Steve mentioned. You know, there are questions about territory and credit and their correlation to protected classes that still need to be addressed, but ultimately it's a first step of taking a look, and I'll quote Commissioner Conway, uh, discussion we had was you want to know if there's monsters under the bed. You want to know if race is a major issue or not. And if not, then you can figure out what to do. Uh, you don't have to take a lot of action. If it's a big deal, you probably want to know that because <laughs> you probably don't want to be discriminating or setting rates based upon race. But you can't know that if you don't do the look, work and sit down and look at your own book. And Verisk is in a position with you know, the staff reporting data to take a good industry-wide look. And I think that's why it's important to take the look first yes. uh, before reacting. Because you don't, first off, you don't know what you're reacting to. You don't know the scope of the but problem. I think you have to be very careful about unintended consequences of action. And, and we saw it play out out west uh, when credit-based insurance scores mm -hmm. were, were um, banned in a particular state. Who did that have an impact on? Well, it was the senior community that had an opportunity to, you know, over their life, build up a good credit score and get a discount for that. Well, these are people on you know, fixed incomes, and all of a sudden their insurance prices are going up. So to be able to understand the impacts before you take action uh, is critically important. Well, and it gets to, I think, the core point here is everybody, consumer advocates, regulators, insurance companies, want a better system, want a more accurate rate. And to do so requires knowledge of what's the best course of action. And you need to have enough data and information to make that intelligent decision. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we've been making general assumptions and yeah. accusations uh, um, or, or hypotheses, and the data solves all problems, right? We can look at the data, we can actually understand, is this an issue or not? If the answer is yes, it's an issue, and how big? How do we, and more importantly, how do we solve it? How do we undo this? Well, best of luck in all your efforts solving it. Stephen Clark, Pat Sullivan, Mike Angelina, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks, John. From the 2023 Verisk Insurance Conference, I'm John Weber for AM Best TV. Looking to get the full attention of the insurance industry? We have the platforms that will do just that. Whether it be AM Best TV, AM Best Audio, Best Review Magazine, or Best Day. Find out more by calling AM Best Advertising Sales at 908-439-2200, extension 5399, and have a great day.